Good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you. As we sang in the song, and as Brother Tool pointed out about s- s- winter turning into spring, um, I had a little girl this morning inform me that she wants springtime to come. And she actually told me to make it come faster. So the perfect song and follow-up. Nope. Um, but in light of that, isn't that a wonderful, glorious truth as we see the snow come? If you don't like the snow, you can glory in your faithful God knowing that springtime is coming because he is ever faithful. If you ever read any literature or read things of ancient peoples or, or superstitious peoples, there's always these stories, these myths, these fears of the never-ending winter. Isn't that interesting? That never actually has happened. But yet, literature from all over the world comes back to us of people afraid of a never-ending winter, or worse, a hundred-year winter, whatever it is. They always have these myths and fables from all different cultures around the world. But yes, isn't it fascinating that the Creator God can be depended on to be faithful, that springtime is coming, springtime is coming, so don't get superstitious as you loathe the snow, which we've hardly had any, but that's why it's kind of surprising. I thought kids are supposed to love snow, but I got one who decides that she'd rather have it be warm outside. Some of you can sympathize with her, can't you? Oh my, more kids than I thought. Boy, oh boy. Let's begin with a word of prayer this morning. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are faithful. We thank you that we can be rest assured in you that indeed spring will come. And Lord, in the midst of this time, may we give thanks. May we see your faithfulnesses every morning, every day, to realize that you are reigning sovereign, that you are supreme creator, you are the creator, and that you, by you, Lord Jesus, all things consist. And now this morning, as we open your word, the Bible, I pray that you would teach us, help us to understand, and help us to apply the truths and the lessons that we find in your word. We seek you now and pray that you will bless this time, we pray in your name, amen. Well, we started off last week with an introduction to the book of Esther, and last week we also spent some time learning about communion. And so, as we begin this week again, I wonder, are there any truths or applications that you came, as you thought on last week's lessons and messages, that you'd like to share with us here this morning? Any truths or lessons from what we learned last week? Or maybe just not from just last week, maybe in your own Bible reading or study this week. Any applications or truths that stood out to anyone? Well, let us be careful that we not be hearers of the word, not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word too. So I encourage you this morning then to uh, keep your ears open and look for things and truths that you can apply this week in your life. As promised, and as you signed up last week, the family Bible readings are ready. And uh, hopefully this might actually help you, help you to seek to review and to be able to apply what we learn in Esther. So if you signed up for one last week, it should be back there on the table with your name on it. If you didn't sign up for any last week, Um, There's a few extra there in the container. Feel free to grab those. It's a first-come, first-serve. And uh, once once those are gone, if there's none there and you'd still like one, just go ahead and 
there's a, still a sign-up sheet back there, and you can go ahead and sign up, and we can print more. So these are the family Bibrians. Again, the goal of these is for you to take what we learn on Sundays and to take it and review and also read ahead so that what we learn in Bible Hour can continue on back home. It's also a tool that it says family Bible readings, but it's for everybody, and it's, you can do it on your own. So kids, maybe it's not a part of your family devotions. You can still sign up. You can still get one, and you can do it on your own. I say that because sometimes family devotions has a particular focus that mom and dad lead it in, and that's good. Um, but you know what I found out with kids? I was once one. I don't know if some of you can't believe that. But I was once one, and then I have a few. It's kids seem to have an awful lot of time. And I know some of you just objected in your mind. Yeah, I see some of you shaking your heads. No. But boy, I'll tell you, you do have a lot of time. It's just how you use it. And so maybe you should reprioritize your time and how you use it and make this a priority and add it into your time. All right? The goal of this is to help you through things. And um, there may be some questions here that you don't know how, quite how to answer. Um, I have revised this. So if some of you think that you had it from 11 years ago, it is vastly different um, and lots more questions included. And so um, I encourage you to do this. I encourage you to take time as a family to do it. We're going to touch on some of the truths here this morning in Bible Hour as we launch into the book of Esther. Now, last week I told you that the book of Esther had a theme. And some of you already knew that. What did we say was the theme of the book of Esther? Anybody remember? What is the theme of the book of Esther? God's providence. That's right. What's that? What's that? What's God's providence? Anybody want to shoot at it? What do you think? Give it a definition. What is God's providence? His control over everything. That's a very good definition. We also talk about it as God's sovereignty in that sense in which he reigns over everything. So we have the book of Esther. The theme is God's providence, God's sovereignty, God's control over everything. But now i got a question. We talked about this just a wee little bit last week. With that theme... There's a little bit of a problem with that theme, isn't there? In the book of Esther. Does anybody remember why that might be a problem to call that as a, as a theme? Ben? God isn't You're right! God isn't mentioned in the book of Esther. And some of you might be saying, huh? Then why is it in the Bible? That's a good question. Tell me something. This is an interesting question. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we read about God speaking to men. Like there's this burning bush that God spoke through to Moses. And we learn about Abraham, and it says that Abraham spoke with God as a friend. Moses did too. We find God walking in the garden talking to Adam and Eve. We find God coming to Elijah in these magnificent ways in his life. And then we have Jesus, God himself, becoming a man and walking among people. Tell me, how many of you in your whole life have had God speak to you from a burning bush? I better be careful. None of us! Really? Well, some of us, or half some of us, have you been in a cave and God is speaking to you and there's a, it's this fiery and it's this wind and it's this still small voice? 
See, a lot of life isn't about these dramatic, dramatic voices of God or these amazing, incredible miracles. See, we get the idea that that's how God works because in his record, he's recorded so many of those for us. But you know what's fascinating? So many of those things are the exception to the normal. They're the exception to the normal. That's why they got in the book is because they're the exceptions. They're those really exciting things. And you know why they're there? So that when those really exciting things aren't happening, we don't forget who our God is and what he can do. And that's kind of where the book of Esther falls. Even though God is never mentioned, Ben's right, he's never mentioned in the whole book. In fact, he's not even, you could argue this, they, 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 people want to debate it. If he is inferred, it's only in one or two little places. But you know what? As we look at the whole book, behind the scenes, we can see him all the way through it. And I'll encourage you in this week, as you go through your week, think about where God is behind the scenes. Look for him, because he's there. He is behind the scenes. He is orchestrating events all around you. What amazes me is that the more that I think about this and try to understand how God is working, I have been amazed to see how God works in my life. And you know what's really amazing about how God works in my life? is that he's been working in my life, not just for the past 39 years, but did you know that God was orchestrating the events even before I was born? Like for, you know, he brought my mom and dad together. Oh, and we could go generation, generation, all the way back to Adam on that topic. All of how he orchestrates events. In fact, one of the greatest parts that I glory in is how before the foundation of the world, he ordained my salvation and Christ to die for my sins. He knew me. He knew you. And he has orchestrated so many events and lives. That's why history to me is so fascinating. Some of us don't care, and that's okay. You don't have to get all excited about it. But you know why I get excited about certain parts of history? I don't have time to research my genealogy. That means my history of where I came from. But I have a brother who's done a little bit, and some of it is intriguing to me. Like, how on earth did my family get to Indiana? How on earth do we live on the same square mile for seven generations? How'd that happen? How did God bring me here? Well, that didn't just happen in my lifetime. I was born here. But God has providentially worked for generation to generation to generation to bring me to this place for such a time as this. And even in Esther, we see that events have been happening long before we even open up to the pages of history there has been working out the details of things and then all the way through the history of Esther, God is in control. And he, behind the scenes, is orchestrating little things. Some of them I wonder if he's directly intervening in. Like, I'll give you a little heads up of later on in the story. There's a time later on in the history when there's a guy who can't sleep. I've often wondered, was that just because this guy had uh, indigestion? Um, or was because he ate something? Or was that because God specifically said, yeah, you're not sleeping because you got to do some stuff tonight? I don't know. But do you see there how those things work? That makes me sit back and look at my own life. Are there are times when I don't sleep. 
Do I ask myself the question when I can't sleep? Why can't I sleep? Is there something God wants me to be thinking about, praying for, or even doing? Why can't I sleep? Oh, I'm sick. Why am I sick? What does God want me to teach me by being sick? What does God want me to not be doing because I'm sick? We don't get sick for no reason. You might say, of course not. That's because we have bugs. Don't you know that? Yes, but you didn't have to get those bugs. So why did you? All through our lives, there are so many ways in which God is in control. He is sovereign. He is in providence, orchestrating the events. And we see that amazingly through the book of Esther. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Esther. I'd like to show you here the theme verse of the book of Esther. And we're going to start here, I think, each week as we continue through the book of Esther. Mordecai, Esther's cousin or uncle, he, he is talking to Esther and appealing for her to take action. And he asks her a question, a famous question in Esther chapter 4 and verse 14. And the very last question of this verse, he says, Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Who knoweth whether thou art come into the kingdom for such a time as this? I have a question for you. You know, it's never answered. Now, you're going to have to put your thinking caps on. Everybody got your thinking caps on? Who knows? Who? God does. God knows. That, who's the antecedent of who? Well, it's definitely God. And he's asking Esther to consider why she's there. I think that question is a very good question for each one of us to ask ourselves every single day. Who knows why I am in such a place as this for such a time as this? And you know, you can answer that question right off. I know somebody. His name is God. Now, God, why am I here in this place at this time? What do you want me to do today? Now, we think of Esther as this grand drama. Lives of millions of Jews are at stake. Well, this question isn't only just when millions of lives are at stake. This question we should ask every day over the smallest of things, the littlest of things. Because you know what? The one who is faithful in the littlest things that God has put him in his place in his time that one will be faithful in the bigger things. And so here, that's what's going on here with Esther. You know, if Esther, I, if Esther were not faithful in being bold in the little things, I don't think she would have been able to be bold in the big things. Do you think about that? So you can be bold in the little things. Now I'm telling you above ahead of the story, and most of you don't even know the story, right? So let's go back and let's look at this history of Esther. 
And it starts off with some people. It came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus. Do I have Ahasuerus here? I have got a volunteer to be Ahasuerus, king of Persia. I even have kind of a Persian garment for you. Shall we trade out your coats? Yes, we have Ahasuerus, king of Persia. Now, it says that it was in the days of Ahasuerus. Now, I'm going to give you a little hint. The name Ahasuerus is actually a title. So how many of you heard of the title Pharaoh? Oh, yes. Do you know how many pharaohs there were? Yeah, I don't know either. There were a lot more than one. So when we say Pharaoh, we have to sometimes identify which Pharaoh. The Pharaoh in the days of Moses. The Pharaoh Necho in the days of Josiah, the king of Judah. They were separated by hundreds of years, but they both had the name Pharaoh. Ahasuerus is similar. It's a name like Pharaoh. So in the days of Ahasuerus, and what days were those? I'm going to let you in on a little secret. We don't absolutely know because there were several Ahasueruses, kings of Persia. We don't exactly know. But many, 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 many historians looking at the history of Esther and then looking at secular records of history identify him as a king we know of as Xerxes the first. So in our study of Esther, we're just going to assume, and note that word assume, we're going to assume that it is Xerxes the first. And so here we have his majesty, Ahasuerus, Xerxes, here is your throne. Sit on your throne. Here he is, and he is great, and he is powerful. He is really impressive. For it tells us that in his days, this is the Ahasuerus, which ranged from India even into Ethiopia, over 107 and 20 provinces. Babylon is gone. He's now in charge. He is great. Over many provinces, over many kingdoms, including Judah, including Israel. And it tells us that in those days, when the king Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan the palace. Shushan was the winter palace of Ahasuerus, king of Persia. And it tells us that in the third year of his reign, he made a feast unto all of his princes and his servants, the power of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of provinces being before him. Do I have some volunteers who want to come and be some princes? Some princes who wants to be princes? Go, come, come, come. I'm going to need like seven of you. So hurry, hurry, hurry. I need seven, seven princes to come on up here. Here, you can grab one of these. Oh, we can use helpers later you, for, the, for the girls. They're, they're coming. So don't, don't um, here, we'll put this right there so it hangs up around. It's going to kind of choke you there, right? Okay, so we've got you princes. You guys like being princes? Do I have seven up here? Somebody to count for me. And if I don't, and if you count and I don't have seven, come join us. And they don't have to be kids. I don't have seven. One, two, three, four, five. I'm going to just start picking. Let's see here. Five, six, and seven. Oh, I, well, you're lucky. For now. 
Okay, guys, when you, get your, when you get ready, you come on up here and stand around his majesty. You're the princess. Come stand in a big circle around him. You seven princes. There we go. Did we get seven? One, two. Hey. <laughs> oh, he's got one for you. I got it all set. Yeah, go on up there. Join his majesty. Looky here. Look at, they're even more arranging in stair-step style. That's good. Arranging the stair-step style around his majesty. Okay, there we got him. This is a feast. Now, you guys are the seven big guys. But at this particular feast, there was a whole lot more. If indeed Ahasuerus is Xerxes I, he was one of the greatest and most powerful kings of Media Persia. He was wealthy. He was powerful, and he was also cruel and a big drunkard. I'm not joking. You read in the book of Esther, regardless of whether or not this is Xerxes I, and by the way, Xerxes I, we know from history, was a big drunkard. Esther, you know how many times we find him drinking? It's unbelievable. He just, he just loves drinking. And the Persians actually loved drinking. They had this thing, you know, about drinking. So, I'll tell you about this. We learned this from secular history about the Persians, all of the Persians. They'd start off, here you go. He'd drink that one. And you know what they would have? In their homes, they would have all kinds of collections of cups. And they'd drink out of one. And when they were done with that one, they'd take the next one. And they'd drink out of that one. And then they'd get the next fancy one. And they'd drink out of that one. You drink it down. You know, that's the point here. And they just go on and on and on. And fooey this, he's just going to take the whole thing. They did. We have, there's records of these parties that they would do this. And it's actually kind of mentioned in here. Well, there was this feast. And here it says that in the third year of his reign, he made a feast unto all his princes and his servants, the power of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of the provinces being before him. When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and all the honor of his excellent majesty, many days, even a hundred and fourscore days, a hundred and eighty days. How many of you have been to a party that lasted a hundred and eighty days? Wow! Well, this wasn't a party that everybody went to for 180 days. What's going on here? Again, if this is Xerxes, and regardless of whether or not it's Xerxes, this is what the Persians would do. When they were about to do something big, and they needed a lot of support for it, and they needed to demonstrate their power, they would throw these parties. 180 days. Now, if all of the military commanders with all of the province all came to Sushan the palace at the same time, that would kind of be a problem because there would be an uprising over in Egypt, there'd be an uprising down in India, there'd be an uprising over in Judea, there'd be these, all these little uprisings because there would be no Persian power present or at least none of the rulers or princes. So this 100, 180 days is, is when he would have one group of rulers and people come to Sushan the palace and he'd show them all of his riches, all of his power. And if this is indeed Xerxes I, He's strategizing with them to stir up the people against Greece. Who's Greece? Ooh, you remember the image of Daniel, the head of gold? 
the arms and chest of silver, the belly and the thighs of bronze. Right now we're in the silver kingdoms, aren't we? Well, Greece is the bronze. And Greece is growing in strength, growing in power. In fact, your father, if indeed Xerxes I, was defeated in a military campaign with the Greeks. He lost. And this guy is going to go back and he's going to win over those Greeks. And so this is a feast that there's extra biblical, that means not recorded in the Bible, record of these feasts that Xerxes I had done, where he had brought and solicited the princes and the power of all of the different provinces, bringing them in for 180 days. His palace was catering to and selling all of these princes on his wealth, on his power, to persuade all of them to get behind him to fight against Greece. And you know what's funny? Hmm. Is God working behind the scenes? Do you have your Bibles? We just skimmed over a chapter in Daniel. Flip over to Daniel. Flip over to Daniel chapter 11. Remember we had a handout in Daniel chapter 11? We didn't spend much time in Daniel chapter 11. But I told you that Daniel chapter 11 has all this extra history recorded. Well, King Xerxes I is recorded in detail here in Daniel chapter 11 in a prophecy. And here's what's funny. He says, also I, in the first year of Darius the Mede, even I stood up to confirm and to strengthen him. Here is, interesting, a messenger from God speaking of strengthening Darius, telling Daniel this. And then this messenger tells Daniel, and now will I show thee the truth. Behold, there shall stand up yet three kings in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than they all. And by his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Grisha. Here we're in the very first year of the very first Persian king, and God revealed to Daniel that there is going to rise up a fourth king who's going to be far richer than the others, and he's going to stir up all his nation against the realm of Grisha. Well, again, if this Ahasuerus is the same as Xerxes, he's this king. And this 180-day feast is what he is doing, fulfilling the prophecy in Daniel 11, fulfilling the prophecy to stir up all the realm against Greece. You on favor of that? Well, after a party of 180 days, you are. See, these guys, I think, were there for the whole 180 days, feasting and celebrating with all the emissaries and commanders and princes and governors from all of the different 120 provinces that came through in all of this. Well, do you guys know what a finale is? You don't know what a finale is? A finale is at the very end when everything is the best. So have you ever been to a fireworks show? And it kind of starts off slow, 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 and then at the end it's just like everything lights up and it's just, I shoot off all kinds of them all at once. You ever seen that? You haven't? Hey, Nate, you need to take him to a fireworks show. He never seen that. It's a finale. It's where everything is, wow, spectacular at the end. Well, guess what? That's exactly the way Ahasuerus is. For here he has this feast to look, show his riches and his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty many days, even 104 score, 180 days. And when these days were expired... Oh, 
The party's over. Oh, no, 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 not yet. The king made a feast unto all the people that were present in Shushan, the palace, both unto great and small. If this is the same Xerxes I, this is his final climax of party celebration. It is a celebration that we have rallied the support of the entire empire. We're marching against the realm of Greece. And here is the final climax. You princes are gathered together. Yay! We're going to go fight against Greece. Yes! We've got the support of the entire empire. And so now, in the final climax of the celebration, there's going to be a seven-day feast in the court of the garden of the king's palace where were white and green-blue hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rings and pillars of marble and beds were covered with gold and silver upon a pavement of red and blue and white and black and marble. Wow! I'd like to go visit this place. This sounds pretty impressive. His wealth, his glorious kingdom. And they gave them to drink in vessels of gold. I don't have any vessels of gold, so I can't show you that. The vessels being diverse one from another. Here, this is funny. We find in secular history and in records of how they would do these drinking parties and all of these diverse and these collections, and we should find parts of these collections and records of these collections of goblets. <laughs> Here in the record, we find it speaking of the vessels being diverse one from another, just like we find out. And royal wine in abundance according to the state of the king. You'd think that after 104 score days, 180 days, they'd have run out of wine a long time ago. They ain't gonna run out of wine. That's the whole point, is that Xerxes or Ahasuerus is proving to everybody, I've got all the wealth we need to go against Greece. We've got this. We've got this. And it's in abundance. And it tells us in verse 8 that the drinking was according to the law. None did compel, for so the king had appointed to all the officers of his house that they should do according to every man's pleasure. Well, what's that mean? Well, according to the law, there was an abundance of alcohol. You could drink as much as you wanted, as little as you wanted. It was all what you wanted according to your pleasure. So there's this great feast going on, and everybody's drinking out all their fancy goblet collections. We still kind of have that, you know, you have teacup collections, right? What are archaeologists going to think in 2,000 years of our teacup collections? Nobody thinks that's funny? I did. Okay, anyway. Well, so here they are having this drinking party, seven days. But I need Vashti. You say, who's Vashti? Vashti's the queen. The queen. Who wants to be the queen? The queen, the queen. Okay, you can come be the queen. You get to wear a fancy crown, but you don't last long, I'm sorry. Did I tell you ahead of the story? Walk real careful. Up to your throne. <laughs> Why don't you go sit on your throne and I'll crown you? Ah, here we have Ashti. Now, we have such a sweet little girl playing at Vashti this morning. The real Vashti wasn't so nice. If indeed this was the wife of Xerxes I, she wasn't very pleasant. She did a lot of mean things. She was a really, really cruel woman. But on this particular day, she too throws a party. Vashti, she throws a party, a celebration, it tells us here. Verse 9, Vashti 
the queen made a feast for the women in the royal house, which belonged to King Ahasuerus. I told you earlier I needed, needed more helpers. So we have seven princes up there and wise men, and, and now we need a series of chamberlains, and, and I need seven of them. And we're going to have to mix things up. So we've got one, two, I need boys, three, four, five, six. Ben, you want to be one of them? Come on up. Seven of you guys. Boy, that crown looks impressive on that little girl, doesn't it? And you guys are not quite the same, so you guys just get boring linen white sashes. You're the Chamberlains. What do you think a Chamberlain is? You guys have any idea? What do you guys think a Chamberlain is? You guys don't know what a Chamberlain and you're all Chamberlains? How can you be a Chamberlain if you don't know what it is? Walter, surely tell me, are you a Chamberlain? Are you a Chamberlain? Well, you are now. So what does a Chamberlain do? Think about the word. What's the first part of the word, William? Chamber. Yeah. What's that sound like? Well, what is it? What is a chamber? Room. A room. Yeah. So you know what these guys are? These guys are the guys who take care of the room. And you know what they were? Some of them were bodyguards, making sure nobody gets into the room that shouldn't get into the room. Hey, oh, we well, got you guys as princes. I flipped those upside down. I'm sorry. You got to stay white. You're not princes. You're just, hmm, you're just chamberlains. So here, you guys go stand up there around the king. These were servants, bodyguards, messengers. These were the guys to do whatever the king wanted, whenever the king wanted it done, and also for the queen. And there were seven of them that were powerful, that were up high in all of this, these chamberlains. Well, so here we have this party. We got one party going on over here with all of the men, and we've got one party over here, where's your party? With all the ladies. Do you want to bring some ladies up here for your party? Yeah. Okay, so call them out. Call them out. Tell them to come up here. Oh! <laughs> Maybe she can act like, act, act, like the real Vashti. Yeah, okay, come on up. Some ladies, come on up and join her in this party up here. I know some of you girls have been wanting to come up here. So come on up and join the queen in her party. She's having a party. Oh, yes, there's lots of you coming. Now, I wonder if they're all friends. If this Vashti is the, same, is the same wife, first wife, or high queen of Xerxes I, then she wasn't exactly the nicest lady. Yeah, she kind of looks like it there. I don't know if you all want to know this, but you know what she did one time when there was this lady who was spending too much time with him? And this is weird, because he has an entire harem of concubines. But there was one lady the queen didn't like and thought she had, was just a little too close to her husband, so she figured out a way to get her killed, and when she killed her, she chopped her up. How many of you thought Vashti was such a wonderful lady? <laughs> How many of you want to hang out with Vashti? Just stay away from the king! Which kind of makes this whole story interesting. If that's true, or if it's the same, if, if, if Hasuerus is Xerxes I. So here's this party. 
180 days of feasting, and now it's seven days of feasting in the palace. This is the celebration, the climax. We are ready to go fight against Greece. The success has come. And now look with me at verse 10. For it tells us that on the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded his seven chamberlains. You seven guys, come on down here. He's got a command for you. You seven chamberlains. You going to read their names? Uh, I need a script. Oh, you need your script. That's not good. Because he doesn't know what to say, right? Here, here's, here's these seven chamberlains. Amukmen, Bithza, Harbana, Bigtha, Agbukha, Zephar, Carcass. Oh, you guys don't like your names? The seven chamberlains that served in the presence of Ahasuerus. And so here, Ahasuerus issues this command. Bring Vashti the queen before the king with royal crown to show the people and the princess her beauty. Wow, do you guys think he said it like that? Maybe. I'll give you another idea, Ahasuerus. You've been drinking for seven days straight. Try it again. Bring Vashti the queen before the king with crown royal and show the princess her beauty. Maybe closer. <laughs> I don't hang around drunk people very often, so I don't really know whether he did a good job or not. <laughs> His heart is merry with the wine, and so he issues this command. Bring Vashti the queen. Now keep in mind, everybody, listen up. If indeed this is Xerxes the first, this is the climax of the celebration. He has now rallied the support of the entire empire, stirred them up against the realm of Grisha. We're going to go fight against Grisha. And he has demonstrated to the entire kingdom that he is all-powerful. Now go get the Vashti the queen. So... These chamberlains who were in the presence of Ahasuerus go to Vashti the queen. And you know what? It doesn't tell us what Vashti said. We don't know what she said, but look in your Bibles there. It tells us in verse 12. But the queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command by his chamberlains. She refused to come at the king's command. Go tell the king. I don't think I want to be around when they do this. Hey, yes, it says, therefore, the king was very wroth and his burner anger burned in him. He was furious. He's furious. And he says to his wise men, which knew the times, for so was the king's manner toward all that knew the law and judgment, the laws of the Medes and Persians, remember, which cannot be altered or changed. He's furious with Vashti. And it tells us next to him were these princes of Persia and Media, which saw the king's face and 
which set first in the kingdom. They're the great ones. And so Ahasuerus, in his wrath and drunken rage, he says, What shall we do with the queen Vashti according to the law? Because she had not performed the commandment of the king Ahasuerus by the chamberlains. Ah. What should he do? He, you know probably why he's so mad? Again, if this is Xerxes I, he is prepared to go to Greece. He has rallied the support of the entire empire around him. Everyone is on his side. He has demonstrated that he is the all-powerful, dominant king. And now on the very last day of his feast, his own high queen, his wife, refuses him. Oops, that doesn't look good for King Ahasuerus. It makes him look weak. It makes him look powerful. Well, no, not powerful. Yeah, it doesn't make him look powerful. He don't like this, and neither do any of his princes. Who wants to be Prince Mamukan? Any of you want to be Prince Mamukan? pick a volunteer. You got a long reading part. You go stand over there in the, in the podium here. You have an idea for the king. Here, Mamukin, he answered before the king and the princess. Vashti the queen hath not done wrong to the king only, but also to all the princes. Oh, you're worried about yourself? Oh, never mind. I'm sorry. Go on. <clears throat> and to all the people that are in all the provinces of the king Ahasuerus, for this deed of the queen shall come abroad unto all women, so that they shall despise their husbands in their eyes. When it shall be reported, the king Ahasuerus commanded Vashti the queen to be brought in before him, but she came not. Likewise shall the ladies of Persia and Media say this day unto all the king's princes, which have heard of the deed of the queen, lest shall there arise too much contempt and wrath. If it please the king, let there go a royal commandment from him, and let it be written among the Jews, let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, that it be not altered, that Vashti come no more before the king Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal estate unto another that is better than she. And when the king's decree, which he shall make, shall be published throughout all his empire, for it is great, all the wives shall give to their husbands honor, both to great and small. Hmm. What do you think? Sound like good advice? We're going to talk about this more this afternoon. So if you're curious, come back this afternoon. Don't miss this afternoon because we're going to talk some more about this. But yeah, these, these guys, th th this guy here, he's concerned about not just what's going on with the king, but he's concerned about his own marriage. I wonder what your marriage was like. He's not married. It doesn't make any sense to him. He doesn't know what I'm talking about. I, I wonder. A and um, hear all of this. You know, he's concerned about He's concerned about this one. Vashti the queen didn't come before her husband when he called her. So make this decree. And so it pleased the king. Send letters into all the king's provinces, into every province according to the writing thereof. 
and to every people after their language, that every man should bear rule in his own house, and that it should be published according to the language of every people. So there it is. We're going to decree it. We're going to order it. We're going to prove, lest anyone thinks that we're not in charge, we're going to prove to everybody that we're in charge. Now tell me, does that sound like a good idea? Some of you are not so sure. Sound like a good idea? Well, if you were actually the chamberlains and the princes of Media Persia, you'd all be like, yeah. Yeah. But let me ask you, as Christians, is this a good idea? Ordering this? I hope you all can come back this afternoon because we have to talk about this. This is a really important question to talk through, especially with Ahasuerus. And so this decree goes forward. Now, all of you come over here and gather around the king because we're going to look at a verse that's really significant. We're going to turn over to the book of Proverbs. We're going to look at the book of Proverbs. And over in the book of Proverbs, did you see what it says about the king there? Did you guys see? When he heard that Vashti wasn't coming, what did he do? Did he go, oh, whatever? What did he do? Did all of you already forget? What did he do? He lost his temper. Is that what he did? Yes. He was angry. He was very wroth. Now, tell me, is his majesty, King Ahasuerus, powerful? Yes, he's powerful. He's about to conquer Greece. Or so he thinks. He's powerful. Listen to this proverb. Proverbs 16, verse 32. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Ahasuerus is mighty, isn't he? Yeah, he's mighty. He's about to take Greece, or so he thinks. But can he rule his spirit? Can he rule his emotions? Can he rule what's inside? Is he king over that? Um, is he slow to anger? No. Poof! So, you might look at Ahasuerus, or you might see rich people or powerful people, and you might go, wow, they're power. I want to be like them. Well, you want to be better than the mighty, better than the conquerors? It says be slow to anger and to rule your own spirit. How do you do this? Well, take your family Bible readings, because I have some verses there for you to study as a family and at home, but I'll give you the hint of what the answer is. It's by being filled with the Spirit. It's by yielding, surrendering to the Spirit of God and letting Him rule your spirit. Because when He rules His Spirit, there is love, joy, peace, and the list goes on of the fruits He gives. Let the Holy Spirit rule your spirit. Y'all can be better than the mighty, the mighty Ahasuerus. There is another proverb over in chapter 23, in Proverbs 23, where we read another description of you. Well, at least is how you're playing him. And over there in Proverbs 
23, verses 29 through 35, describe to us a drunk man. Do you know we have a description of a drunk man in the Proverbs? Uh, who hath woe? Who, who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath battlings? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Sound like a Hajuaris? So far it does. Look now not, not upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. He had all his fancy cups to look at it in. Moveth itself aright. You have wine moves, alcohol in the wine moves. That's how we know this is alcoholic. It's moving. At the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. That's what alcohol does. Thine eyes shall behold strange women. And listen to this one in verse 33. And thine heart shall utter perverse things. Your heart shall utter. Does that sound like a Hajuaris? It sure does to me. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, huh? or that lieth upon the top of the mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. That's the alcoholic. That's the drunkard. Sounds a little bit like a Hasuerus. Here he is, merry with wine, uttering from the heart perverse things. So here's lessons for us. Will we seek alcohol, wine that is alcoholic, or will you shoo it, flee from it, not have anything to do with it? Ahasuerus sought it, and he uttered perverse things. Truly did. He's one who didn't rule his own spirit, and he's one who was not slow to anger. So, hmm, sorry to pick on you, but don't be like Ahasuerus. Don't be like a Hasuerus. Rather, be like Jesus and let his spirit fill you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the history of Esther. I pray that you would teach us. Help us to learn more about you. Help us to grow in you. May we be slow to anger and may you be the one who rules our spirit. May we walk in your spirit every day. May we learn from the poor example of Ahasuerus and rather learn from the good example of Jesus and glory and rest in him. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.